With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. What's up? Hi. How's it going? Two shows in a row. It's good to have you. Yeah. I'm not taking off again for at least, uh, you know, a little bit. At least a couple weeks, probably. Yeah. Right? We're back uh, Thursday morning, live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody that is uh, back with us. And uh, it's the ranking show. This yeah. is just the, this is peak off season here, Sam. We're going to talk about all things rankings over at pff.com quarterbacks position groups play callers you know food whatever it is we're just going to rank it all here Hmm. today yeah if you've been paying attention to pff.com anytime recently you'll see there's been a lot of rankings put out some of which have been controversial yeah and Uh, we've we've done it in a controversial way too because people can only comprehend what you know uh, numeric one through 32 and we put them into buckets and groups which are more you know a little bit more nuanced to them you know Mm. But uh, they're all over PFF.com, and uh, everybody loves rankings. Oh, everybody. Yeah. I mean, everybody clicks on them. Yes. And reads them. Yeah. Or sees where their team is, and then they come back and hate on them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's a universal love for them as much as just, look, it's June, and this is what you get. This is this, is, this, is this part of the NFL calendar, right? You have the regular season, the postseason, the preseason, draft season, free agency season, and then you hit ranking season. Yeah, stir up engagement season. Basically, when when everybody's on vacation and you just put out rankings. The late Austin Gale would tell us. The late Austin Gale. The late of PFF Austin Gale, you know, would push this forward and say, yeah, this is where we're keeping people engaged. Well, he did. He did. Yeah. That's that's why we're doing it. We should call him the uh, Austin Gale Memorial (laughs) ranking season. Okay. Um, Anyway, we've got a couple housekeeping items here. What do you got? Uh, You're wearing a Hitman shirt, first of all. Which is yeah. nice. From uh, get that? from homage, homage. Yeah. The great people at homage, which I'm reliably informed that's how you say it over here. Yeah, I'm supposed to get a shirt from them too, and I just can't decide yeah. which one I want. They have some pretty awesome. Like I actually have. It's a Heart Foundation one, right? I have a Heart yeah. Foundation you homage T-shirt on the Heart Foundation that I I went out and paid for with my own money. This one, the good people, yeah, sent me. Just, just and, for just for being a good guy and good person, Sam sent me. You gave me a shirt. Was yeah. that for my birthday or whatever it was? The Macho so. Man shirt. Yeah, was from homage. So we we're uh, we're all about the homage. But I, I just find it funny that like this is the one word 
that you as Americans have decided to pronounce faithfully yeah. as opposed to every other word which you butcher. What are we going to say? The, ho- the homage? Yeah. I mean, homage, 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 I don't know, whatever. Homage. Anyway, the good people at Homage have some awesome T-shirts, and I have one right now, and you should go buy one. So I do get to get – I'm supposed to get a T-shirt, and I really can't go back because there's so much nostalgia there. Do they have uh, freak sizes for you? Yeah, yeah, they, they're fine. Okay. They fit. Remember, my Macho Man one fits. Yeah. But there's uh, – you know, I could go Jaguars. I could go, like, I was a mid-'90s Texas Rangers fan. There's wrestling, that whole path that I – there's – there's a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. So I'm not really sure which uh, which way to go. I'm open to suggestions. Like, what's the best throwback? But Homage has some some great stuff on their site. They do. Yeah. So we appreciate them. We appreciate the. Uh, I mean, I always appreciate shirt. a free a free Hitman T-shirt. I'm all for it. Yeah, we appreciate the uh, the free shirt. Um, the other thing we we had been mentioning before too, as far as the uh, the charity drive and trying to get you to throw 60 miles an hour. Yeah. We're going to do that by supporting our friend Tanya, uh, PFF colleague. The uh, the GoFundMe for her is in my pinned tweet, and we'll continue to push that. She had, there was a just a crazy uh, surgical incident, I guess. I don't know how to even describe this. Yeah, but um, she's been battling for uh, for a while, and they've got some work to do to uh, to help her out as far as uh, making things more comfortable at their new home and. Uh, accommodating her and any help is much appreciated there. So that's the GoFundMe to support Tanya's journey of health recovery. There's a whole breakdown of what happened, who Tanya is, and all that stuff. But she's uh, part of our HR department here at PFF. Um, been here almost two years, I believe, or right around two years. And, uh, yeah, we definitely want to help her out. And once we get to a certain point, I think, in that GoFundMe, we'll get to see you try to throw 60 miles an hour. Hmm. Okay. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then finally, <coughs> the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score every single week, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. Pretty simple. The champion of best ball mania last year drafted right here in June. So there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog's going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your Best Ball Mania team today. All right, man, you ready to get into uh, ranking season here? Yeah. Where do you want to start? Quarterbacks always, right? Quarterbacks. No? Quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. <clears throat> oh, where's my link? It's the preseason uh, draft guide, season guide. What do we call NFL it? NFL season preview guide. Season preview guide. I lost my <laughs> – did I click off the link? What's happening here? Mm. What, what do we have rankings for? Pretty much every position group. We uh, referenced a little bit of the coach. Did Were those the official coach rankings that we put out there from Connor, or was he just doing that on a whim? I think he was – He I, just did he that on something, his own. and then Eric has some other – Eric has play-calling ranks. I'm not 100% sure what Connor's thing was on the basis yeah, of Yeah, I think he just went straight coach ranks. Play-calling ranks are more – there's like an actual formula for that yeah. that Eric has, has put together. Um, we did it a little bit differently this year, right, because uh, – it's more. It wasn't my idea, but this is the way I would do it. I'm a big tier guy, right? 
I think splitting hairs between this guy's fourth and this guy's fifth is yeah, but the thing silly. is, on Oni, it, it doesn't work if you if you keep the numbers. If you put the numbers next to the guys. Yeah, yeah. People don't care. <clears throat> people don't care that you've you've tiered them. People yeah. only care that you ranked them sixth or eighth or ninth. It, it, that's the only thing people are interested in. Yeah. So the only way the tiers thing works is if you remove the rankings entirely and rank them just by tiers. Well, the tiers make sense as far as putting guys into groups. Um, it doesn't make sense like if you're saying, here's our quarterbacks. And, and and so we did change the numbers a little bit, right? Like So Patrick Mahomes was first, and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers were both first, right? Like they both um, – or Brady and Mahomes were both first in their particular tier. It depends on how the article is written. So the quarterback tier is done by Seth Galina. Um, he went – with tier A, the golden oldies, the playing at an elite level over the age of 30. So this is why it makes sense to kind of break them up in this way. So in this tier, you have guys like Brady and Rodgers sitting at the top. Then you have Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan. Um, and then you split up the shooting stars, right? The guys that are under the age of 30 in the top five there is Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, <laughs> Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson. I think that's a great way to kind of... Uh, kick things off here as far as the uh the rankings go the first question is why is Dak Prescott is he under 30 why is he not there he must be as is Kyla Murray they're not in the top they're not in Seth's top five there but they jumped into the tier c mixed bag <laughs> Dak Prescott Kyla Murray Derek Carr discuss uh well I, I think Dak Prescott in particular has never shown the kind of play that would put him into the category of Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, etc. Joe Burrow from last year. He just hasn't played at that level. And Dak Prescott, I think, has demonstrated that he he might be you know, one of the the great challenges of particularly quarterback play is trying to isolate the quarterback from everything else around him. Supporting cast, receivers, offensive line, run game, defense, play calling, defenses, you're facing everything. It's so interlinked and so intertwined, it's it's impossible to untangle all that. But yet, the more you can untangle, the closer to the real truth you actually get with any of this thing. So it's this constant struggle of every analyst trying to untangle that as much as humanly possible, knowing that it's a completely futile endeavor because you're never going to get there. Um, but I think that Dak Prescott has shown to be maybe the most, uh, the most, um, what's the word? The most vulnerable quarterback, the most susceptible quarterback to changes in his environment in the NFL. Like he almost directly goes as the talent around him goes. If you improve the talent around him, Dak Prescott gets significantly better. If you reduce the talent around him, he gets significantly worse. And I. I mean, that's true for every quarterback, but I think, it, I think the uh, impact of that is magnified for Dak Prescott. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to learn more about that this year too, right? I mean, losing to Amari Cooper and trying to replace him with James Washington and Jalen Tolbert or, uh, you know, just better play from C.D. Lamb, whatever it might be. You know, I think, I think Dak is an interesting one there because Lamar has an MVP caliber season. And I do think Lamar brings, uh, when we talk we talk force multiplier and all that stuff, the true run-first quarterback like a Lamar brings a force multiplying aspect to the offense, to the offensive line, to the run game, to just 
uh, running back production to open throws coming off of play action, all of that stuff. But Lamar's really only had that one elite season, right? I mean, th- I think it's a big year for Lamar, too, to come back and 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 just show that he can play at that level. I mean, if you, you can't take away the MVP season. It happened in 2019. But over the last two years, like, Dak's been way better, than, I think, than Lamar Jackson over the last two years. But for, with the Lamar, we still saw this one-year pinnacle. It happened in year two. Um, I think it's a little different than, say, Cam Newton. Cam Newton, I think his just kind of happened in year four or five and then just he never reached it again though but i think lamar might be he could be in that danger of just being good not great and and just having one great outlier season if we see another season where lamar grades at like 78 or you know 80 or whatever it might be but i still think lamar brings so much to the table to his offense as far as the run game play action and everything else that that comes out of it um with Dak, though, again, we've, we have seen the ebbs and flows of his career kind of coincide with, with his supporting cast and with his receivers. Lamar's also in this really weird position where the contract isn't done. Yeah. And yet you would have thought, you would have thought he would be at the front of the queue um, in terms of a team desperately trying to throw him the giant contract, almost as soon as uh, possibly available. I, it, I don't know, it's always hard to parse the, the reports from this kind of thing as to what's true, what isn't, who's stalling it, who's dragging the thing out. But the things that I've read have sort of said that Baltimore has been willing, and if not eager, to hand him some kind of contract, and it's Lamar's side that's holding it up. Now, maybe it's holding it up because Baltimore hasn't come close to where Lamar should or could be in terms of contract value, and, you know, effectively it's them holding it up by not being in the right area. But... It is weird that what seems in every other way to be a perfect, happy marriage between quarterback and team, like they, they haven't had the, they haven't got the contract done. They're heading in this stack. They're heading down this Dak Prescott road of, are we going to end up franchise tagging the guy and then end up paying him monster money anyway just because you've let this thing drag on so long? All right, I want to go to the young quarterbacks again. So the the best quarterbacks under thirty. In order by Seth here, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. I think last year at this time we would say, starting a franchise, it's Patrick Mahomes, right? That's our guy. He's number one. Is that still the answer? You're starting a franchise today. can be any quarterback. You want to be good for 10 years. So Brady and Rodgers might not be in the mix. Who are you starting a franchise with? Is it a slam dunk that it's Patrick Mahomes or... Have the other quarterbacks bridge that gap? Um, it's not a slam dunk, but I think it's still Patrick Mahomes. You, I, you have to start thinking about you know body of work with all these guys, and Mahomes has just done it for longer and probably done it better than the others. So you know Josh Allen, I think, has reached that same level. He just hasn't done it for as long. I, Joe Burrow last season arguably reached that level, but it was just last season. Justin Herbert, I don't know if he's reached that level yet, but he looks pretty phenomenal, but we haven't seen it for the length of time. Like Patrick Mahomes has had one, you know, relatively average season for him last year. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden is has everybody else caught up to him. And even last year, by the way, he threw for like 4,800 yards, 37 touchdowns, 13 picks. Like the numbers 
still look spectacular. Right. It's just down on the freak show that we know he can be. Yeah. So 80.4 grade in 2021 was by far the lowest of Mahomes' career last season. So he just took he just took a bit of a step back last year while all these other quarterbacks took a step forward. But I'm with you. I would still take Patrick Mahomes number one. We're starting a franchise right now. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. But we're also at a point where a couple of years ago, I thought it was going to be Patrick Mahomes and that's it. Maybe carrying the NFL uh, in the post-Brady-Rodgers-Breeze era. But Josh Allen has two elite seasons now. Herbert looks like he is ready to become the next top five type of superstar. And Joe Burrow just brought the Bengals to the Super Bowl in a year where they started to rely on him a lot more in the second half of the season. So um, I think the bridge, I mean, I, I, I think it's a lot closer than it was last year at this time. And it's not just Mahomes in its own tier. The fact that he could share now a tier with Allen and Herbert and Burrow um, and maybe even a Lamar, I think, is, is huge. And, I, and, it's, and it's good for the NFL. It's not just going to be Mahomes. There are other quarterbacks playing at this high level. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes has been playing for effectively four years, right? And has five years, four seasons. And has more career passing yards than Jim McMahon or Chad Pennington. You know, like guys that played like a decade in the league. Mahomes has done that in four seasons. Like his numbers are absolutely mind-blowing. And not just numbers, you know, passing yards and touchdowns and all those kinds of things, but... When you put him on those sort of scales of advanced metrics, like Mahomes was breaking the league in a way that we talk about with Aaron Donald being often an outlier in his own. Um, and okay, all of that came back down to earth a little bit last season, but we were talking about a guy who for four, for three of his four seasons was essentially breaking the league. Now, is that is one relatively average season? enough to ignore all of that and say no you'd actually prefer josh allen or justin herbert or joe burrow look i've said this before on the show i want to wrap it up wrap up this part with with this i think sometimes when we talk about the best of all time the goats and all that stuff we think we think back through this lens that they're like that they're perfect right everybody loves to debate jordan and lebron and stuff neither guy's perfect right if you if you're a lebron lover you could go back to find all of jordan's missed shots Right or find all, oh he had Scottie Pippen he had this or that if you if you're a Jordan guy you could find all of LeBron's failures along the way uh, if you're debating the best quarterback of all time if you really want to pick apart Tom Brady you could find failures in there or teams that should have won it that didn't or uh, games where he wasn't great in the playoffs or whatever it is um, but you could do that with everybody right so if you're gonna pull down Tom Brady from goat status who are you replacing him with because that guy could get picked apart even more. Because they don't have the same type of legit moments that Tom Brady has. So my point is, if Patrick, Patrick Mahomes can still be the best quarterback in the league, even with a second-half collapse in the AFC Championship against the Bengals last year, even with the argument that, hey, we've never seen him without Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey for a real extended period of time, and we don't know what Patrick Mahomes is, Mahomes is going to be. None of these guys are perfect. Aaron Donald, there's no quarterback in history that has like an Aaron Donald-like resume where you could say for eight straight seasons, this guy clear-cut was better than everybody else in absolutely everything. It just hasn't happened. You can't say that about Montana. You can't say it about Marino, Peyton, Brady, any of them. So it just doesn't exist. Perfection doesn't exist at the quarterback position, but Mahomes is the best as far as 
who I would take right now, what we've seen from him in four years as a starter, and, and me saying, if I'm starting a team, I'm taking my chances with Patrick Mahomes. I also think one of the, one of the reasons that uh, longevity is kind of important for quarterbacks is, I mean, it's important for everybody, but quarterbacks in particular, the league spends its entire time trying to figure out how to stop what you're doing as a quarterback, right? So I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to come in and show them something they've never really seen before and dominate for one or two years, two or three years. Then the league, then there's like a a second process where you have to evolve and you have to come back as as 2.0 version of yourself and you have to do it again and you have to show that you can beat the adjustments that are there to stop what you're doing. And the best quarterbacks in NFL history have done that two or three times, right? They've come back and they've adjusted. Like Brady is a perfect example. Brady's adjusted his game, what, three or four times yeah, in the course of his career. That's part of the game. That's part <clears throat> of the expectation. And right? that's part of why he's, he's an all-time great is because every time you figure out how to stop what he was doing the first time, he comes back and changes it and does something completely different, and he wins again. And Peyton Manning, same thing, right? Late in his career with Denver. Like, oh, my arm's a noodle now? Fine, I'll just carve you up anyway and set an all-time record for touchdowns with no arm. Doesn't matter. I'll just evolve, right? Mahomes, I think what we're seeing now is this is the first time Mahomes has to do that, right? He's hit that point, the too high coverage stuff, where teams have figured out what causes Mahomes problems, and they're showing it to him all the time. And now he's going to go through that evolution process of what is 2.0 Patrick Mahomes look like. The difference between him and the other guys on this list is – Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, they haven't got there yet. They haven't hit that level, that point where teams have figured out how to stop them yet. But they're going to have to go through that. Like, they're going to have to live through that process that Mahomes is going through, which is the thing that's causing people to look at him, you know, disfavorably compared to those other guys. And maybe the same thing's true with Lamar. Like, maybe Lamar has hit that point where teams have started to figure out a little bit how to cause Lamar problems, and he's evolving. But... Burrow, Herbert, and Josh Allen are still in like the, the first phase of this is all good. Teams haven't figured out how to stop me yet. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, it, is the, it is an underrated part of playing quarterback is being able to do it. Um, and look back at Brady, too. They've done it in different styles, right? He's had a run-first attack. He's had a spread attack. He's had three wide receivers, two tight ends. They've had all sorts of different systems. Now he's played in Tampa Bay versus New England. You have to be able to do it in different situations and do it against the adjustments that the league – has thrown at you, um, which is why a lot of times you get people say, well, well, this guy's most more talented, right? Like talent actually doesn't, what is talent at quarterback? Part of talent is actually, you know, adjusting, right? Doing like that's talent too, isn't it? I don't know. Let's not get down that rabbit hole. Like is Matthew Stafford more talented than Tom Brady? How are you going to define that? Just because he does cooler stuff with his arm? Maybe. Is that, does that mean Stafford's more talented? Is Brady more talented with his brain because he's been able to adjust to more things and have more success for a longer period of time? The bottom line is, though, you want to have long-term success, and adjusting is part of the job description at quarterback. I don't want to spend all day on quarterbacks, but I thought some of the other tiers are interesting ways of parsing out these players. The play-action merchants, the guys propped up by scheme, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jared Goff. Are, are we... Is this just because these guys have all been part of outside zone, play action heavy systems where they've put up good numbers or they've graded well at points in their, in their career, um, in part because of that stuff? Um, 
is that part of just the environment that they've been in, or is this how these guys have to win? Where if you say, hey, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, go win a game the way Brady and Rodgers and even Stafford last year, the way they do it, we just know that they can't do that. Yeah, I don't know that that's fair necessarily for either of those first two guys, Tannehill and Cousins. Um, like, so the tier above them, I guess, quote unquote, but a different tier. He's got Derek Carr and, you know, a mixed bag, polarizing player kind of tier along with Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray. Derek Carr a year, two years ago, would have been in the same tier as Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill, right? A guy who has clear limitations to his game. Uh, is good, but is either propped up by a scheme or simply has a level that isn't going to take him as high as those other guys. And then the last couple of years, Derek Carr has kind of bounced back to that 2016 version of himself and shown a higher level to his game and elevated players around him. Um, but I think I think Carr and Cousins are in the same. I, I would disagree with Seth here and say that they're in the same tier. Now, well, that's kind maybe of maybe not saying. in the same description, but I think they are in the same. So group. the diff- the only difference really is that you know Carr hasn't had a scheme that's definitely contributing to his success over those last two years. He's he's obviously done it himself. But I think Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill conceivably can do a similar job in a different scheme. They just happen to have been in one of these outside zone play action quarterback friendly quote unquote systems. All right. And then uh Seth just kind of throws all the sophomores in there together. Man, how do you re rank those guys? Still has Trevor Lawrence, number one. You're banking on that upside. But Mac Jones, number two. Where do you land on Mac Jones? Uh, I mean, Mac Jones has done well so far. But I still think his his sort of ceiling, his upside, his potential, how good he can be, that's the unknown. Like, we, Mac Jones did kind of what we thought he should do year one in terms of— but can't he get better? I mean, look— He I, can, but, but we I'm don't know not, how much. The prob, that's the— that's the problem with a guy whose success is based off the mental side of his game. Right? And accuracy. And it, yeah. here's the thing. Last, maybe I've overrated training camp practices and reports and stuff like that. All I'm saying is I think Matt Jones might be at the highest end of accuracy and decision-making. Yeah. Which, we, which puts your ceiling much higher than we think because a lot of times we're only talking ceiling from a, from a physical standpoint. Right, the, the, like the practice last year again, not to overrate it, but the practice last year where he went like forty-five for fifty or whatever it was against the Giants, and, and there was just an o, 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 whatever OTA where he's, he's twenty-four for twenty-five. All I'm saying is he has these performances that are on the highest end of like near perfection as far as completing passes and moving the ball and all that stuff, and I think that gives Mac Jones the ability to to get that much better from a result standpoint on the field in the coming years. And I don't want to downplay that. He was also so much better than every other rookie quarterback yeah, last year. And I'm not saying he, he doesn't have the same ceiling as these other guys, but what I'm saying is it's so much harder to project because it is based off those things that not that you can't see, but that like what, what separates Joe Burrow from, you know, Jake Fromm, right? Like, like a random quarterback that doesn't have physical tools is smart and accurate, right? Like there's obviously Joe Burrow has more physical tools than Jake Fromm, but like the thing that's going to determine whether Mac Jones is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL or a dude sitting in the middle somewhere, you know, along with the, 
Um, he could be in that polarizing group of Dak, Kyler, and Carr. Or he That's could be even that. lower. You know, he could settle somewhere exactly where he was last year, like 15th in the NFL. Like True. If he's – the difference between him being number one or number two and number 15 is simply, like, does he develop his his play? Like, the the accuracy is fine as it is. The mental processing looks fine as it is. What he needs to do is consistency – adjust the style that you play with, like work on that balance between aggression and, and um, efficiency and moving the chains. It's just way harder to project if that's going to happen versus a guy that has a cannon, can run around, like whose entire basis is athleticism and tools. And you're like, oh, if he just like, you know, figures out a couple more reads, that dude's insane because you can't stop those things. There's a, there's a part of me, I always use this comparison to early career Brady, Early career Russell Wilson, early career Ben Roethlisberger. Three guys who were clearly in the top tier of quarterbacks during their era. They all kind of started in a l- slightly more game management roles. Uh, Brady just ma- really only for his first year. But Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, they were, I mean, they were happy when he threw the ball 20 times per game as a rookie. And they you know, trusted the D. Mac, Mac Jones had a lot of games like that last year, right? Where it's like, all right, you know, we're just going to you know, treat him like a rookie. That's, other games, they let him go. I'm just saying he performed well in those things and won games the same way Brady, Wilson, and Roethlisberger did. And then at some point, Brady, Wilson, Roethlisberger became the guy of their offense, right? Whether it was year two, three, four, whatever it was for those respective quarterbacks. And there might be that point in Mac Jones where it's like, all right, we're not going to have that game where you throw the ball three times. That's an extreme one. But even these other games where he only threw the ball 18, 19 times – those are gone, and it becomes Mac Jones' team, and that could be this year, and we could see a massive jump for him. That's all I'm saying is there are some similarities to other quarterbacks that have had a lot of success in recent times. Yeah. To me, the only question with, like, well, how, how much do you change the rankings after year one? It's not – the Mac Jones thing isn't what would adjust the rankings to me. Like, Mac Jones did kind of what Mac Jones sure should have done. Like, if you – look, people were all over the place on Mac Jones. Some people thought – Looked at him, said, that guy's got no tools. I'm out. I don't want any part of it. He sucks, right? Certainly not worth. My analysis on Mac Jones was this guy is incredibly good at processing and at accuracy, and that is a really good basis to start with. He just doesn't have elite physical tools, and I I don't know how far that will take you. Um, So he did exactly what he was supposed to do in terms of come in, execute an offense, run it well, and show that he's able to do the things he was doing at Alabama at the NFL level. The difference is everybody else didn't. Trevor Lawrence didn't look good. Uh, Zach Wilson looked like crap. Justin Fields was all over the place. Like, those are the guys Trey Lance barely played. So it's not that Mac Jones did anything different to what we were expecting from him. It's that everybody else did. So that it, it's if you're readjusting those rankings, it's a case of, well, how much did those other three, four guys hurt themselves rather than how much did Mac Jones elevate himself? All right, we're 30 minutes into the show here, Sam. Sweet. Realistically, what can we get through? This was like the time we were going to spend five minutes on every team, and then we said, you know what, let's just do a quarter of the league mm. instead of all of it. We, we pivoted mid-show. Should we make this just the offensive show? We split up the defensive no, rankings? we'll just hit like the, uh, the headliners. You want to hit the headliners? Yeah. By the way, we've had an update. Connor Price, I asked him the question that I asked you, which frankly was a more sensible way of doing it. Homage or homage? Which one, you know? And he thinks it's homage. Homage. Mm. You, who doesn't have a great track record of pronunciation. Connor's a high-end 
he's uh you know, like a young millennial. He's also the guy that talked to them to get the T-shirts. Yeah, but there's no way he... No. No? He's too young. So what you're saying is we should lean on your pronunciation expertise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that it is, in fact, and I'm gonna homage. And right? I'm just going to hate on Connor's homage. youth. That there's no way he knows the word. I mean, he might not know the word, but he's talked to the company. He also... Uh, he's talked to the company and he's brought them on board. He also probably like, doesn't get it. He's probably looking at this like, man, I just don't. I mean, I guess there's a, I guess it's a good company and all that stuff. I just don't like. What's what's the who's the hitman? Like, what is it? Like, he doesn't get it. He's too young. Connor yeah. probably doesn't get homage. Whereas the forty year olds like me mm. and the near forty year olds like you, we're just like this is the best thing ever. Love homage or homage or whatever you want to call it because it's got all this cool stuff that's nostalgic and pays homage. I am way away from forty. Oh yeah, you're you're way over there. Um, you know what we're not far away, though? From? What's that? Father's Day. Yeah? Right around the corner. This Sunday. And our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all the father figures out there are looking like daddy material this June. Okay. That's like it was in all caps. No, it wasn't. It was daddy material. This feels like a read that's going to... This is like thin ice. This is a high wire act. Full disclosure. First time seeing it. Okay. Here we go. Let's just see what Let's we get. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any in all old man hair uh-huh. from head to toe. That's right. There's, this is no dad joke. I love dad jokes. Treat him, me. That's right, me. I'm a dad. You are too. Treat him and yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer you get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com trust me his dad bod will thank you as will mine manscaped is designed with fathers in mind and the performance package 4.0 is here just in time for your pop special day did we have that other uh screenshot that they posted in there Anyway, look at the, the travel bag in there, which I use all the time. It's great. Inside this package, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball de- deodorant, crop reviver, toner, performance boxer briefs, and the travel bag to hold his goodies. It's all for dad. <laughs> First off, let me start by saying the lawnmower 4.0 will be the official MVP of Father's Day. See, not too bad. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF over at manscapes.com if you're on youtube check it out that's the full package right there they even give you the the headline news and all that stuff mm. so yeah manscapes.com promo code is pff perfect for father's day i was uh i was watching the ufc the other day and manscaped are they're big into presenting something or other in the ufc i forget what it is on the basis that the ufc is very good at stuffing uh sponsorships into almost everything they do but manscaped featured heavily in some way shape or form yeah? Yeah. That's the story? Well, John Anik, the commentator there, was, was giving, it, giving it riz with the, uh, the read. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you, you do what you can. What I'm just saying, they're our friends at Manscaped, they're, they're big time. They're in, you know, pay-per-view UFC broadcasts. Yeah, they are. They've, they've elevated. All right. So, uh, let's go running backs here. Running, running back backs. rankings. Hang on. We'll just do the power rankings. We haven't done that. We, oh, we haven't done oh, power We mentioned it. Um, Last week, last show, when we were talking about the hideous ranking I'd given Tennessee, we hadn't actually done the main, you know, top five or whatever. Oh, you did the power rankings here. Yeah. All right. How'd you split? Oh, go ahead. Defend yourself per Sam Monson. Now, did you do this uh, mathematically or this is just off the cuff? There's math involved. 
Good. It's not a Good. it's not a rigid rigid mathematic formula. Would you say you uh, you have a model? No. Oh, okay. no, no, I don't need models. Model status no. yet? See, models I think get people into trouble. I read something this morning that was uh, no, no. You throw the model in front of you and you sit behind it. And it was um, it was all time soccer transfer values adjusted for inflation. Right. Only the adjustment for inflation was clearly done by somebody that didn't know how to use numbers at all. Right. That feels like another problem, not the model, not the well, concept the model. of models. Yeah, but the problem with models is that there are people out there that throw a bunch of things in there, fire it out, and are like, yeah, all right, well, this is what the model says. You're like, yeah, but your model is clearly idiotic on the basis that me, who can barely add up, can tell that those numbers don't function. That's like, why you got to backtest it against previous drafts yeah. and say, what if the model drafted? Uh-huh. Go check out that show with Mike Renner from last Thursday. Anyway, yeah. so for the power rankings, uh, I have I have a tier of true contenders in which I've got, what, five people, five teams. Buffalo, number one. Tampa Bay, number two. The Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, number three. Kansas City Chiefs, number four. And the Los Angeles Chargers, number five. Those are the five Chargers. teams. Chargers. Yes, that I believe to be true and unquestioned contenders. Wow. You, and then you have the Broncos at seven, yeah. if you were ranking them in order. In so then the, I have, uh, could be their year. So you think the Chargers are better than the, uh, our hometown AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals? Yes. Okay. I think Cincinnati overachieved last year. And even huh. though they've done a good job this offseason of sort of patching up the flaws in last year's team, I'm just not sure you're going to get the same lightning in a bottle effect, whereas the Chargers... I think have been consistently moving in the right direction for a couple of years now, and they're building. We should get Chargers preseason hype T-shirts every year. Hmm. Like Chargers preseason believer, year 15, year 12, year what? How many years is this for you? It should just be like we should find the start date, you know, and just be like 2002 Arrow. June champions. Oh, oh yeah, 2002. And then just leave it open because it'll be every year. The Chargers, the team of June. Um yeah, that makes I, I I could buy into that. But you had them ahead of the could be the year. You have them ahead of the Packers too. You think the Packers? Yeah. I've, you, I can I cannot buy. You're souring on the Packers solely because of the receiving core. Yeah, which I don't think is unreasonable. Like you can't. If Green Bay this year won the Super Bowl, that would be the worst receiving core to win a Super Bowl since when? Like no, the Patriots, 2018. The Patriots in 2000. What was their receiving core? I mean, I always think about the out, like they had Cordero Patterson and Philip Dorsett as their outside receivers. They had Julian right. Edelman, and they had uh, Gronk, who clearly was, you know, hobbled, was not the same, even what he is right now. Yeah. Right? He was he was hurting that year, but it was Gronk and Edelman kind of carrying him. Yeah, I mean that's a, a very minimum. Oh, there we go. Philip Dorsett, Rex Burkhead catching yeah. passes. So like their outside receivers are terrible, but they were good everywhere else. Green Bay this year has uh, – It's probably worse across the board. Unless Sammy Watkins is, you know. Green Bay has Aaron Jones and then a hope and a prayer everywhere else. Yeah, that's fair. You'd be the worst one in a while. Yeah. I just – that – and not just – so, you know, the Patriots did that in 2018 against a field that didn't look like this. Like, if Green Bay is going to win it this year, they're going to have to overcome the five teams I put in the true contender status with the worst receiving core we've seen in a long time. 
So Packers are at six, and it could be their year with the Broncos, Bengals, 49ers, Cleveland Browns. Yeah. The Browns. That's a lot of dependency there on yeah. what happens. Like the Browns are the toughest team to rank because it's a it's a Super Bowl caliber roster, but you have no idea. Like their quarterback could be a 90-plus graded Deshaun Watson, or it could be Jacoby Brissett all season. Like if it's Jacoby Brissett, they're not making the playoffs. If it's Deshaun Watson – they're genuinely one of the best contenders in the league. And the Baltimore Ravens there. Yeah. Uh, eyes on the playoffs. you got the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Arizona Cardinals, Indianapolis Colts, Las Vegas Raiders, Tennessee Titans, mm-hmm. 17th in the ranking here. New England Patriots, 18. Dolphins, 19. Saints, 20. Again, I think it's – I think it's – it's. we've talked about maybe the league is top-heavy, but there are a lot of teams like this that are going to be very competitive – um, so we're talking about 20 teams that you've put at least in the, yeah. in so the playoff picture here in June. There's 14 playoff spots, right? Seven, seven, uh, seven in each conference. And I think there's going to be you know, six teams in the hunt, quote-unquote, at the end of the season, right? Like six teams that are probably looking at that and saying, yeah, and just missing out. It feels like a reasonable number. There's probably the, the next group is the sort of stuck-in-limbo teams that probably aren't going anywhere. Those teams will, will be on the in-the-hunt graphics, up till week 16, 17, or whatever, and then fall off. But that's Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Washington, Detroit, I think, could wind in up in there, the, the Jets. And then you've got teams that stink. We know a lot of, there are a lot of Detroit Lions believers around the building here at PFF. Uh, the other interesting number here in the power rankings is 32 being next to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. It's a bad roster. Really bad. Look at it. No, I've seen it. I'm, I'm familiar. Um, also, by the way, maybe the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Next yeah. to a bad roster. I mean, they're bad. Uh, when Greg Rosenthal was on, hmm. um, trying to take the feedback that I should be pushing back against people. I, I should have pushed back on him a little bit. should have pushed back on Greg. On you Greg. Should've, you should have pushed back on Greg with, against him telling you you should have pushed back on me more. That's, first, that should have been your first pushback. First I did. I was I defending. I, was, I would never push back on my, my podcast partner, Sam. How dare you? Look, I mean, he's just trying to extract the best out of us, you know. Yeah, around really? the NFL, does really good work. I was say, Greg's on a big podcast. And yeah, he knows what he's doing. He's on two big podcasts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the other, the secret one. The secret one. Yeah, well, it used to be a secret. I mean, it's a whole ordeal. Yeah. Um, the Vanity Project or whatever with the comedian guy. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Seattle Seahawks. What was I saying? I, oh, so Greg's telling me. He's over there like, I secretly believe Geno Smith's closer to QB 24 than he is, say, QB 40. Wow. You know? Like if the Sims power rankings were coming out, There's quite a lot he of would people. expect Geno to be in the, in the 20s rather yeah. than you know, in the 40s. There's quite a lot of people that seem to kind of think that quietly. Geno and um, Teddy Bridgewater both have it, – it, maybe it's just because they both they came out in back-to-back years – it was kind of like earlier Twitter world and all that stuff. But Gino, a lot of people thought Geno Smith was the best quarterback in the class of 2013. Yeah. Not saying The worst much. class in a like, yeah. decade. And then he falls to round two. Yeah. And then there was a lot of people who thought Teddy Bridgewater was the best quarterback in the cl- class of 2014. And he falls to, uh, was it, 32, right? He's, Last pick in the, in the first round, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, the same class that had Blake Bortles, Johnny Football, and Derek Carr. And I feel like there's a lot of people just, like, holding on to their earliest Twitter takes but also from the, early last decade. Like, the Teddy thing makes sense. He, Teddy having a 
band of loyal followers make sense given the career he's had, right? Which is started off sure. pretty encouragingly looking good. And then, like, the man nearly lost his leg in a freak injury, right? Yep. Like, not just sort of, oh, this is a, you know, unfortunate way of a body landing on him and his leg. Like, that dude just dropped back and his knee imploded and almost lost his leg. Like, the Eric Sugarman or whatever his name is, the Vikings medical guy, was apparently, like, pretty instrumental in that guy, in him not losing circulation to his leg and having to have the whole thing gone. So, for a guy who looked like he was sort of on the way up, to almost losing his leg and then obviously losing his job in the in the process and having to bounce around like you can under and seems like an incredibly nice guy you know just across the board it makes a lot of sense why people would gravitate to Teddy Bridgewater and want to see the best from or for him and from him um Geno Smith hasn't really had the same kind of story it's just like came in looked bad still looks bad had like four games where he didn't look terrible but I think Gino might be okay. What? Why? Like, no. Like, did, did you, the fact that he's games. in a competition with Drew Locke should speak volumes, right? But he might crush him in the competition. We don't know. He might, or they might end up being exactly the same human and just offsetting each other. Like, ineptitude versus ineptitude. The immovable object versus the immovable object. Just two stones sitting there in a field not moving. Is that a, is that a metaphor? Does that count? Yeah. Seattle, Seattle 32, Chicago Bears 31, mm. Atlanta Falcons 30. Yeah. Teams that are trying to... Bad teams. Trying to rebuild. But yeah, Seattle does look a little rough. Check out Sam's power rankings. Attack him at PFF underscore Sam <laughs> when you have uh, any questions. Okay. Anything else you want to add about your power rankings? No, we covered it. Let's go to running backs, rankings, and tiers. Uh, ben Lindsay put this one together. I had to answer the question. Why was uh, Najee Harris number 11? This is the one where it's like it's all ranked. There's numbers, but they're tiered, and the tiers matter the most. Yeah. Um, I would put Najee up high. He really had a big workload, workload last year, second in PFF war. Um, but the tier one is the elite, Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, and, um, and then a special tier for – the two guys coming off of injuries, Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey, actually, and Dalvin Cook, which I think is fair. Elite when healthy, right? Elite when they're at full strength but slowed by injuries. Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara. I mean, Derrick as well. The Derrick, like, I, it feels kind of harsh in Derrick Henry. The man had one injury once. Yeah, but you put, he, he, Ben is saying he's elite. Ben's right upstairs. If you have if you have issue with Ben, you can go up and talk to him. Ben Lindsay. Well, send somebody up. Bring him down. I'm justify his. Yeah, come down, Ben. If you're watching, just come on down and justify your running back rankings. I'm just saying, like, we're also trying to normalize bylines here at PFF. This is Ben <laughs> Lindsay's rankings. He runs them by us. We talk about them. There's a little bit of like a sign off process across the organization and all that stuff. But this is Ben. Right? I we could trash Ben on this show, not ye- PFF. We could trash Ben. Or Sam, when you do your power rankings. A year ago, I did the running back rankings. and They were I, trash. I hated those rankings. I hated them so much because yeah. running back is this one position where – so Ben has done a smart thing in that his running back rankings are only 20 people deep. Yeah. And now Ben's smart, huh? Yeah, yep. in that way. Um, but running back – like. Most positions, there's a starter, right? And the starter plays most of the snaps, and you can easily come up with 32 starters because there are 32 guys that have played a representative number of snaps. Easy. 
running back there isn't. Running back, there's like five guys yeah. to play a ton of snaps, and everybody else is just in a committee somewhere. Well, let's put some numbers And to trying that. to come up with 32 of them is absurd. And every, so you're going to leave somebody off, right? And that's going to anger people. And they're going to be like, wow, what about this guy that you missed? Obviously one of the best 32 running backs in the NFL. Like, yeah, well, he might be, but there's almost no evidence to that. Uh, ben is pretty smart. Uh, we do like Ben Lindsay. He does good work here. He does start the article by saying, back in 2006, how many running backs played 70% of their offensive snaps? It was eight. Eight running backs played at least 70% of snaps. Last year, it was one. Back in 2006, 18 running backs played at least 60% of their offensive snaps. Last year, it was five. Yeah. Uh, to further derail things, in, as, I'm, as I continue to study our wins above replacement metric as all part of PFFIQ, and I'm always trying to sort players by, like, what have they done for their career? What have they done per season? And running back is one of those positions where if you evaluate players by career and you say, what have you brought to the table from a value standpoint per season in your career? There's a plethora of good running backs who actually fall below average to standard because of injuries. But when you put them, when you just look at the seasons where they were healthy, they're like really good, right? High end, elite. I mean, it's like a Dalvin Cook, right? And it really is a thing running back versus other positions. You just see more injury, like long winded way of saying you just see more injuries. And it's part of the issue with investing in the position is, yeah, when Dalvin Cook's healthy or when whoever's healthy, they're very, very good. You just don't get full seasons. You don't get 500 snap seasons or. 800 snap seasons from these guys enough to be able to bank on that consistency yeah but the elite tier even if we extend it to the guys with injuries jonathan taylor nick chubb derrick henry christian mccaffrey dalvin cook and alvin Kamara, i think is uh is a fair group yeah i just think christian mccaffrey is has obviously dealt with a decent number of injuries and he's now in that category of like yeah well christian mccaffrey is amazing but he's been pretty banged up derrick henry had like one injury kept it out for a while but other than that before that he's been he was iron man right so i think you cut the guy a break and put him in the you know give him the benefit of the doubt until we get more than one injury for derrick with a uh, bunch of gr- uh, good starters and aaron jones austin eckler joe mixon i think that's fair and then elusive running backs on rookie deals this is one of those like hey josh jacobs is number 10 and Najee harris is number 11 and steelers fans got mad that Najee was 11 it was just kind of putting them in this tier um not so much ranking them all in order uh, but Najee did have he did have a really good season uh javante williams in this bucket as well dude dudes who are tough to tackle well, Na- think- Najee's problem is similar to tua's for the Dolphins, and that like the situation that he's dealing with in Pittsburgh is almost prohibitively yeah. bad in terms of fairly evaluating him. It also comes back to like there's a difference between a, saying a guy's a good player or this guy's going to help you win more football games. And obviously, Najee couldn't do much to help them win football games because he's a running back. Yeah, but like, <laughs> the, but the situation is so bad that it's almost hard to figure out how good he is because True. he's not being given the kind of opportunities that other guys have to make good plays. Um, really quick on running backs. Can they bounce back from injury tier? Saquon Barkley, Chris Carson, Zeke Elliott. Um, Saquon's the interesting one, right? The value in his career, this is the guy I was just describing too, well below average. Even just a, he's, not, he's not even bringing average rookie uh, running back value per season over the course of his career because of the injuries. But when he's out there, Saquon Barkley is an absolute game changer. Chris Carson, there's rumors about retirement and just too many injuries there. And then Zeke, look, Zeke's a good running back. He's had a good career, but he also might not be as efficient as his backup, Tony Pollard. 
I mean, isn't as efficient. Well, he certainly isn't, but it's not always as simple as, you know, give Pollard all the carries and he'll maintain it. Um, but yeah, this this list goes up to uh, to twenty, and then there's a couple honorable mentions in there as far as the running back tiers go. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna? What are we doing for rankings? Are we getting through offense? We're not gonna get through. No, no, no. no. I, just, I told you headliners, headline big things. So, oh, my internet just went out. Oh, nice. That's what my computer does now. The uh, what about um, Eric's play caller rankings? I was gonna go by positions. Why do you just keep? bouncing around here because your way is stupid why wouldn't i go down the list because you're going to go down the list to a bunch of things people don't care about and then we're going to run out of time in the podcast i'm trying to hit the the oh you just want the highlight i thought you wanted the highlights of every group no the highlight rankings oh so there's a lot of running backs probably not no Oh, just cut that out. Cut that Because there's segment. like a million things on that page I sent you. Cut and that segment. if we do that, we're going to be here until next Tuesday. That's what I was trying to tell you. Yeah, well, yeah. I knew that. That's why I was trying to tell you repeatedly that you should just take the big ticket items and do that. All right, go to play callers while my uh, internet's getting I'm back. I'm there right now. So, Eric Eager, the doctor, lead, the lead member, lead co-host, that's the word I'm looking for, of the PFF forecast, um, ranked... NFL coaches and play callers. Um, and being Eric, this is based pretty heavily in, you know, data science and all the stuff they're, they've pulled out there. Andy Reid, the best play caller in the NFL. Kellen Moore, number two. Byron Leftwich, the man who, you know, who knows how much is the Byron Leftwich. Well, apparently, number three play caller in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan, number four. And Sean McVay, number five. I think it's a pretty good five. Yeah, it seems decent. I think I think the left which one came from. And so again, I don't know everything that goes into Eric's stuff. I think part of it is result based, right? Which is given the grades of players, what should your offense output, right? So like a Shanahan gets elevated by the fact that he's never had a highly graded quarterback other than Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan won MVP. But Shanahan doesn't always have a highly graded quarterback, but he creates effective offense, right, using, say, something like EPA. I think there's also the actual, like, what plays did you call aspect of it, play action, uh, running on second down. So someone like Leftwich in the Bucks, they, they threw the ball like crazy on second down, right? They would not do that whole, like, oh, it's second and ten. Let's get, let's get back on schedule. Let's get to third and eight with a two-yard run. Uh, the Bucks did a really good job of, passing on second down a lot last year you also have Andy Reid and again I don't know how many years back Eric's going with this whole thing either Andy Reid clearly has a track record of no matter which quarterback he's been given they're going to create offense right and last year in particular was a year of Mahomes grade went down a little bit but their effective uh, their efficiency numbers on offense still remained pretty high in Kansas City especially when you lose some of the fluky turnovers and everything so yeah I think a lot of those make sense Kellen Moore is the one where i I think people would push back because Cowboys fans probably don't love Kellen Moore because mostly because I think Cowboys fans view it through the lens of did we win or did we not? And if we didn't win, everybody must be terrible. Their offensive that. numbers were crazy last year, though. They were. They were, they were very good. And again, they were, Dak, like, they Dak were the best. well, not outstanding. They were the and best. the offense was very effective. They were the best offense in the NFL by certain metrics. You yeah. know, now, admittedly, certain blunt object metrics, but generally – Oh, Ben's uh... – no. It's Renner's fault. Yeah, That's Ben. That's what he's saying. 
Ben Lindsay has uh, has sent us a message. He said, I had Henry. He So he's defending himself. He had Henry in Tier 1. And running backs, Renner talked him out of it because of the injury. Yeah. Well, Renner makes... also, speaking of injuries, comes on this show. Yeah. Blatantly says the name of the safety that plays for the Chargers. Number three now. Number three, the player. Yeah. Now, I, I did my best, Sam. His name was mentioned actually twice. While twice. Gone. Uh, Rosenthal did it, Come and on. then Renner did it. I corrected them both. Yeah. Both times. But. Well, you can't, like, it's, it's, you can't undo that. Like, you can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. It's I tried. I tried squeezing too, it right back in. It just didn't, just no. didn't work. So, so he's injured now. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. He, they, they, there was some report that there was a surgery or something. Huh. Yeah. We're just sitting here in June. Nobody knew anything. All of a sudden, he's having surgery. Okay. So four days. It's, it reported four days after Renner says his name on the podcast. So Derek Henry so. being in the wrong running back tier is Renner's fault, as is the player being injured. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. He comes on here thinking he was going to Wally Pip you. Yeah. Not if he's not if he's doing that. I mean, not if he's injuring players left, right, and center. No, can't be doing that. <laughs> All right, where do you want to go next, host of the show? Uh, uh, what else? What else? Uh, in the play caller rankings. So the play caller rankings apparently were only six people deep. Well, yeah, you don't want to make people mad. He has the I, he. It's like the little write up on six guys, and then just the just his screenshot of like R or whatever the. You know, bespoke program that nerds use. In We're the still letting is. him screenshot R in our articles. I don't even think. I don't think. I don't know what that is. I don't think it's R, but it's like whatever the kind of you know nerd computer programming screen is on laptops that he uses. So that's that. I think is where you get the full list. Is his screenshots? I'm just glad Ben's listening to us. We're probably probably because we're streaming across I think the building only, here. Well, maybe that, or maybe because. Tyler pointed him in that direction and said we're trashing him on the show. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Tyler may have told on us for sure. Uh, all right, what else we got? Um, I had – where did I put it? I had, centers? We want to talk centers? No, offensive line rankings. That's where I wanted to go next, to the entire offensive line. That's always one of the big hitters, Steve. That's what we're shooting it is for here. I, 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 I wrote it the last couple of years. Oh, yeah? And somebody got mad at me for – And you just bailed on it, huh? It, might, it may have been the thing that pushed Austin, Austin off the, oh, out of the building. Look there. at this. This is continuing the trend. Guess who wrote it this year? Renner. Yeah. He took over. Mike Renner. Let's I bet he what... didn't put 10,000 words to it like I did last year. No, almost certainly not. Um, let's see what Renner did. So, number one, Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, Cleveland Browns, despite Nick Harris starting in center. Uh, number three, Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. Number four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number five, Green Bay Packers. And he puts the top four in their own tier with uh, minor or no weaknesses. I think the Browns, if J.C. Treader was returning at center, I think the Browns would be the clear-cut team. They're taking a step back, replacing Treader. I think it would still be close with the Eagles. I mean, that Eagles offensive line is beastie. You get the Jordan Mailata breakout at left tackle to go with right tackle Lane Johnson and, and center Jason Kelsey. I mean, the Eagles have been solid for a while. I mean, to me... Not seeing the Dallas Cowboys in the top four or five. Mm. This is the first time in how long since that happened. They had the one year where they were injured and they weren't good. Yeah. But before the season, it's like, hey, if you have all these guys, you're going to be fine. And now the Cowboys are they're down to only the two elite players in Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. One of whom is likely to be injured at some point. True. 
And then a few more question marks, right? Rookie Tyler Smith. Tyler Biotish did take a nice step forward last year. Terrence Steele, who you've trashed plenty on this podcast here. I'm trashed. I've simply said he's about as good as Connor Wood oh, or hate. Connor McGovern, who's being said as, you know, if Connor McGovern is a guy who should be on the bench and you need to put Tyler Smith there, Terrence Steele is about the same caliber as Connor McGovern. Now, I, I think where Renner misses the boat here. Let me disagree with Mike here. Mike, are you here? Come defend yourself. He's got the Kansas City Chiefs at nine. Hmm. Chiefs, last year was the best Chiefs offensive line they've had in the Patrick Mahomes era. And, th- and they've had Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Uh, they've had good offensive lines through the years with Mahomes. They've never had a bad offensive line. Don't buy into the 2020 narrative. They've never had a bad offensive line with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback other than that one game. But last year was the best offensive line that the Chiefs had. Yeah. He has the Chiefs offensive line behind the Bengals offensive line. Now, look. It's questionable. I think the Bengals have done a great job of overhauling that unit this offseason. On the other hand, they are still looking at an offensive line that should have one very good player in Lyle Collins, assuming he's healthy. One reasonably good player in Jonah Williams. Who's really, he's been pretty average. In his career. Yeah. Jonah Williams has been the best of a trash offensive line in Cincinnati, but he's still been pretty average. Two guys. Which I love. Two guys that should be capable starters in Alex Kappa and Ted Karras. And then Jackson Carmen, who was bad last year. This, this feels like one where you and I have raved about what the Bengals have done. Uh, our colleagues around PFF have as well. We're overrating the Bengals process maybe to get to this point. Well, right? certainly for that ranking. we For are. the ranking we are. Right, I mean, a great process to get to this point to be much better than last year. Like they did, what but the we, Chiefs were dominant up yeah. front last year. They did what we preached, you know, what we preach all the time of creep back toward average. They had a below average offensive line, at best, and they have, I think, successfully dragged it back toward average in For one sure. off season. But that does mean that it's still average. Like the Chiefs, where do they? They must have finished in the top five last year in terms of our final. Uh, Offensive line rankings, right? Yeah, you should check that out. I will. You, we usually list them. Talk. We usually I'll list the uh, last year's... Uh, well, we would do, but Rana wrote it, so we're, <laughs> we're cutting corners. So we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Rana uh, did not put 10,000. Final offensive here. line rankings. Here we go. They're probably third. Uh, is this the right year? It is. 2021. They the are fifth. Fifth to end the year. Yeah, and they're all coming back. So they've dropped four places despite nothing changing. And that was with two rookies, right? With Creed Humphrey and yeah. Trey Smith last year, two really good finds. Um, and just to answer some of my uh, hate mail, feedback, right? Anytime I've questioned the Chiefs' process, it's not that they – I'm not questioning the fact that they've created a good offensive line. They've done a good job. I just think that they did it at the expense of other positions that they should have valued more. So That's other all. massive changes at the top of this list um, – the 49ers finished the season third, and they are down in 14th in the new rankings. Now, they've lost. They lost Blake and Tomlinson. And Alex Mack. And Alex Mack. So yes. there's logic to that. That may Also, by the way, like that was an offensive line that looked like it was dramatically outperforming what it should be. Tom was, Compton had a career year yeah, at and, right tackle. And it was also kind of. One player on the offensive line shouldn't be able to make that big a difference, but when the one player is Trent Williams just single-handedly bulldozing the left side of the line, it actually did. Like, Trent Williams posted a grade that at one point was like 99 in a scale that is not supposed to be able to approach 99. He was absurdly dominant 
and him on his own playing at that level was dragging that offensive line like five spots higher than it should have been on the rankings. That's a good point. One player, you don't want to build an offensive line around one player, but like anything, if you play at such an elite level, which is tough to maintain, it can have a massive impact like a Trent Williams did last year. Uh, who else is high on this list? Uh, There's some, some Baltimore Ravens hate here. Sam? Yeah? They're at 17. 17? We've got Ronnie Stanley coming back off of injury. We have the great Morgan Moses stepping in at right tackle. You still have Kevin Zeitler. And you have Tyler Linderbaum stepping in center, the rookie center. I mean, that, that line has top, I think it has top five potential. Tyree Phillips, the only real question mark over at left guard there. Um, Wash- so turnover, but looks good. Washington was another line that dropped hugely. Number six in the end of season rankings. He, Mike, has them at number 15 heading into the season. And that's just him not being a believer in them maintaining it, I think. No, also remember they lost Brandon Scherf in free They did lose Scherf, true, replacing Um, him with Tri Turner. So that's that's significant. But some people some people pronounce it Tri Turner. Yeah. Some people some people do. Incorrectly. But incorrectly. Uh, the Rams are another significant drop, not as big, but Whitworth to um, Note Boom is probably significant there. Uh, that's probably the major ones, the major changes. Uh, coming the other way, we have the Giants in Tier 4. Um, again, I don't know if the numeric ones let, – let, let's not overrate the numeric rankings necessarily because, you know, we, we know. But they're at 18 here on this list. They're in Tier 4. In the at least one good tackle uh, <laughs> ranking. They were but, 30th as the, in the end of season rankings. But, like, reasons for optimism for the Giants offensive line. Andrew Thomas had a very good year, too. Evan Neal comes in as a rookie. You bring in Mark Lewinsky. Shane Lemieux is still there. Um, he only played, like, 40 snaps last year. And even though he had a bad 2020, he looked, he looked good for 40 snaps. For whatever it's worth, the Giants have always believed in him. It's not as bad as it was last year at this time, I would say. What it should be. Giants offensive line. No. Um, the Bills are another interesting one. They're at 20, and I, th- I thought they've always done a good job of kind of maintaining this good, solid offensive line the last couple of years. They might have more question marks this year than they've had. Spencer Brown in year two, maybe starting at right tackle, and you bring in an aging Roger Saffold who's taken a bit of a step back in recent years. It, there are more questions, I think, on the Bills' offensive line now than there were the last two seasons that we've seen the elite Josh Allen. Yeah, but they finished the year 17th. Like, this— They've done a, an, and they've actually approached their offensive line, I think, in a pretty interesting way because they have kind of steadfastly attacked that maintain average just across the board. Like you give me five average offensive linemen, and we're fine. And they've they've sort of ensured that by attacking depth for average players. Let's just get a whole bunch of average guys. We get nine average offensive linemen. The chances are. We'll have five starting average offensive linemen, and then we're fine. Um, The problem with that strategy, I think, is variance, right? Players don't play at the same level every single year. They go up, they go down, and it's not consistent. And while the the good side of that means in any given year, if you have five average offensive linemen, you might they, they might have good seasons, and all of a sudden you have like a pretty good offensive line, and everything's great. But if they have bad seasons. All of a sudden, your average, your five average players are actually playing below average, and now your offensive line does start to become a bit of a problem. And you can offset that if you have Josh Allen, but it does become an issue. 
Uh, interestingly enough, the bottom two offensive lines are the two teams that you put at the bottom of your power rankings. Oh, Chicago Bears 31, Seattle Seahawks 32. Yeah. Bears with several question marks there and the Seahawks. It's as much, you know, look, they had Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell starting a tackle last year. Those are two good, solid starting tackles. Now they've got two rookies, right? Charles Cross, Abe Lucas. It's question marks, right? What, yeah. That's how I always try to describe my offensive line rankings or the offensive line rankings every year. Who has the fewest question marks? Right. And it's certainly tough to say Most well, Seattle has a bunch and the Bears certainly do have a bunch as well. We've, we've sort of were tainted by the memories of Tristan Wirfs and Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell. Most rookie offensive linemen are not good. Yep. So expectations for Charles Cross, even though we really liked Charles Cross. And... Um, be a good test for the model. The model did not like Charles Cross. <laughs> and Abraham Lucas, expectations shouldn't be high. Certain year one, right? They may become very good players down the line, but two starting rookies should not be expected to be good. Nope. In addition, got- you know, the rest of the offensive line isn't great. <laughs> what else you want to talk ranking-wise, Sam? Pull- yeah, take, take over, man. Take the, uh, take the wheel. Take the wheel. I thought uh, only Jesus takes the wheel. No, he does. Good driver. Edge rusher, T.J. Watt, number one. Look at that, Steelers fans. We love you. T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, Micah Parsons. We put him in there. And Joey Bosa. I did these rankings, right? Are they mine? Oh, Sam. Yeah, look at you putting T.J. Watt number one. Look at that. It felt familiar. Speaking of Jesus, you olive branch to the the Pittsburgh Steelers (laughs) fans. Yeah, I did other rankings um, where I had like – Micah Parsons was was in or was in his own category. It's like whatever the hell Micah Parsons is. Yeah, you know? I like that. Yeah, which makes sense. But like purely as an edge rusher, he was elite. Like, that's the crazy thing is yeah. that they didn't just sort of they didn't stumble into this guy that was able to get production because you know he found favorable matchups and blah blah. Like no, they moved him down to the edge and said go beat tackles, and he was. That's, that's what wrecking made him them. So special, I think, though, is like um, like we didn't have a great run defense grade on him. In part, probably not easy playing multiple positions, playing the run. It's never easy stepping in as a rookie linebacker. But like he had such a good grade and war and all these different numbers because of what he did as a pass rusher, right? Because of what he did just purely winning one-on-ones. We saw it opening night. You talked about Tristan Wirfs and how good he was as a rookie. Parsons beat him in like 1.8 seconds on one rush and yeah. got in there. It's like... This is a linebacker. He's not supposed to be doing this. There, he played the game in a way that reminded me of other levels of football, right? Where when you watch other levels of football, it's very easy to quickly identify the guy that's not where he's supposed to be in terms of level, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the fun things about sort of when you go to scout players um, and you're coming from a position of ignorance in terms of not watching the college game every single week. You turn on a tape, you should probably be able to figure out who you're supposed to be looking for, even if you have no idea who it is, right? If you, if you were just told, here, watch the next 10 plays and tell me who the prospect is, yeah. right? Generally, you can spot it. And particularly the lower down you go, the easier it is. And then in high school, right, the guy that's like the guy that's an NFL caliber player, it stands out like a sore thumb in high school. And if you play, you know, you go watch a different league in a different country, players that are at a different level, they just they play the game at a different intensity and a different violence and speed. Micah Parsons was doing that in the NFL as a rookie. 
Like, you're watching him play. Like, he is playing faster and harder than the guys he's going up against. And, you know, if he gets a crease or gets a, a gap and a clear run through to the quarterback, like, he's closing instantly and arriving with nasty intentions. And it's why, like, he was getting comparisons to Lawrence Taylor. And they weren't crazy. And not because he's, you know, as good a player as Lawrence Taylor, but because of that. Like, yeah. Lawrence Taylor back in the 80s, had that difference. Like something looked different immediately. Yes. Watching him play in the 80s versus like any other standard outside edge rusher, it looked different. He was playing the game with a nastier, more violent, more explosive, quick intent. And every time that dude arrived at the quarterback, the quarterback wasn't just going down, but he was going down hard in a heap. And that is what Micah Parsons looked like as a rookie. I think Neil at one point was going to go back. We had some 1981 Lawrence Taylor film. Neil might be great in it right now for us. I would love to see that. I wonder if he started that. Now he's got some extra time. Yeah. Hobby time. We should get him doing that. Go grade Lawrence Taylor 81 and compare it to Micah Parsons. So we have some, you know, some some data Mm. to compare. Where else do you want to go rankings-wise here, Sam? We're just so we're – what was the – what would you – you just read at the top – what the did I do? Tier? I just I I started remember. talking about edge rushers. Yeah. So TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack still in there, despite, you know, relative down year for him. Uh, Michael Parsons, Joey Bosa, Mack Crosby coming off his 100 pressures. How did you not put the Bosas next to each other? <laughs> that's like, that's what, that's a rule. Yeah. That is a rule in PFF. You're kind of hating on Nick Bosa at seven. Hating on him? I mean, yeah. dude, look at the players ahead of him. Nick should be third. Third? Yeah. Wow. How did he put him third? I'd go. I'm going to push back on Sam. My rankings. Yeah. Off the cuff here. TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Micah Parsons. Wow. Or Parsons three, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, four or five. Bosa's. Got to be back to back. It's a rule. Why do you have Nick Bosa ahead of Joey Bosa? When he's healthy, he's a, he's a tick better and younger. He's a tick better and younger. He's younger. He is younger. Tick better. <laughs> tick he? better than Joey. Huh. Yeah, they always grade about the same and all that stuff. I think Joey's graded better pretty consistently, actually. Um, all right, fine. I mean, you're wrong, but that's that's okay. There's there's room in the world. Go for check everybody. out Sam's Edge Rusher rankings and tiers over at pff.com. Um, we should talk about the receiver unit rankings, receiver core rankings. Yeah, I like this one. Um, because this is where you get to see – the, the totality of what we're talking about when it comes to things like Green Bay, right? So <laughs> Green Bay is receiving core ranking number 31. The only team in the NFL with a worse receiving core, according to, I think this is Ben Lindsay again. Yeah, according to Ben, is the Chicago Bears, who might have the worst group of supporting cast that's ever been consigned to paper. So the Bears are 31st in our offensive line ranking and 32 in our receiver ranking. Yeah. The Bears and by stink. the way, we like Darnell Mooney. We put Darnell Mooney, Anthony Tresh, in his individual receiver rankings, threw Mooney in at number 32. Yeah, but he's like their the only up, receiver. In the up-and-coming list. I'm, I'm just saying, this is what is difficult, right? Because it's in it's um, uh, rosy glasses season and all that stuff, rosy right? Rosy glasses season. And we had this debate with, say, like Colts fans last year. And now they're going right? to be like, go on, Justin Fields. Have a good year, yeah. too. But, like, you could, see, you could see Bears fans be like, oh, Darnell Mooney's going year three, and uh, Byron Pringle's adding some speed, and Equinemius is big and fast. And it's like, yeah, now compare that to everyone else's group of receivers and tight yeah. ends. And 
It's really not good. Don't forget, Vilas Jones was handpicked apparently by the the Justin Fields, uh, Ryan Poles, yeah. you know, sit down but tape watching age. session. Sure, this is the problem. I'm not saying there's not a downside. I'm just saying that you know when you're rose, the rosy glasses, yeah, you're yeah. going to be saying, yeah. "Well, that man, that guy was handpicked by the tape session between Justin Fields and Ryan Poles." It's the same thing with the Packers group. You could be like, "Well, you know, we'll get." Alan Lazard is a Rodgers favorite, and Sammy Watkins is going to be so much better with Rodgers than he was with someone else. Randall Cobb is still a go-to guy in the slot, and Christian Watson's adding the size and speed, and it's like, okay, it comes back to the question. Like, that's a lot of what-ifs. Yeah, I mean, look, if the two rookies they picked are all pros, they're fine. It's true. Certainly is. In fact, they're good. Not even fine. They're better they'll than be, fine. If they're both all pros, they'll yeah, be— They'll be very good. They'll, they'll be in the Super Bowl. But they're probably not. Um, the Tier 1 group, though, Cincinnati Bengals, Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, and then the story of the offseason, right? Like, look at three, four, and five. Miami Dolphins, Philadelphia Eagles, Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. What, what did those teams – how, how did those teams get there? Well, they all traded. Yeah. <laughs> Tyree Kill, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Adams. Miami, and they all landed in our top five receiving groups. Miami's is interesting because they were kind of okay anyway. Um, and yeah. they, they, they've done a lot of turnover. They trade away – um, Devontae Parker, they bring in Cedric Wilson in free agency, they trade for Tyreek Hill, and now you have this sort of whole interesting group of guys that now need to be fit together somehow. The Eagles and the Raiders, I think, are more interesting because they um, they had, like, what is the basis of a good receiving core that just didn't have the number one guy. And they, they both went and fixed that with a trade. Like, the Raiders bring in... Devontae Adams, and all of a sudden that takes care of not just the deep threat, but the legit number one threat. You've got Darren Waller already there. You've got Hunter Renfro already there. You re-sign him. But all of a sudden those guys start to look like phenomenal complementary pieces to an elite number one wide receiver. Similarly in Philadelphia, you've got like this really kind of quite useful group of young, talented receivers, but you didn't have anyone that was the number one. You bring in A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden, like Devontae Smith, if he only has to be a number two option, a guy that can just take advantage of his route running savvy and all those skills, looks like a great player. Dallas Goddard. Um, they've got a really good receiving core now because they answered that number one question. So I think, I mean, the Eagles and the Raiders have immediately transformed their receiving cores from like average units to amongst the best in the league with one move each. Story of the season, man. Just did it for the 12th straight show. Talked about the story of the season. Those receiving cores. How they're going to elevate their quarterbacks. And how that's going to influence the NFL. Right? When Derek Carr is putting up the MVP caliber numbers. And the arms race for the next wide receiver one occurs. So that you can elevate your quarterback. That's this season. It's also, by the way, that... Remember, for a long time it felt like the DeAndre Hopkins contract, such an outlier that it was, was sort of was causing problems in the wide receiver marketplace. Like nobody wanted to go there. Nobody wanted to match that deal. The dam got broken this offseason. Like we finally did it. And now DeAndre Hopkins in terms of average per year is, is down the line a little bit. And all of a sudden everybody's just it's just made peace with that number. And so now you're seeing all these big deals. And this is just the, go, the price of doing business now at wide receiver. But all of a sudden, I, that that kind of dam being broken, I think it caused part of this like explosion in, in activity at the wide receiver position. If you're into me repeating myself and Sam's metaphors and the 
the beautiful chemistry that we have here, obviously, Sam. Um, we've got a great group of lis- dedicated listeners, right? We do. Dedicated listeners. And what we're trying to do this summer is to spread the word on the PFF NFL podcast. That, we, uh, that we're just having some fun talking NFL. And maybe your friends want to listen as well. We're just, so I'm asking our listeners if, yeah, if, you, if you think, if you're having fun listening to us, spread the word. Tell a friend. If everybody tells a friend and they start listening, boom, mm. audience doubles. 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 That would be good. If you told two friends and they all listened, more than doubles. It does. Triples, in fact. <laughs> so, yeah, we're just trying to spread the word as much as possible. Because uh, sometimes it's fun listening to Steve repeat himself and say it's the story of the year for twelve straight shows. So you're giving you're giving the listeners homework, homework. Yeah. yeah. So if you're if you're listening and you like the show, tell a friend and get them to listen. That's your homework. Yeah. We've done this before, right? You know, show us that you're subscribed to the daily. Show us you're subscribed to both shows. I won't even make you prove it out, but I'll just take your word for it. Okay. All right. You know, or let us know in the comments. Let us know. Hey, in the told comments. a friend. Okay. I told a friend. Spread the word for the PFF. I also – so I, I'm on some mailing lists where you get offered free advanced copies of books every now and again. That's how I wound up with uh, with Bill's book, Bill Polian's story. You're going to give away all the free books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Smart. Right, so I got a couple more came came by my, my uh, email box the other day, and I was like, yeah, I'll have a couple of those. You, know, they you sound accept all the free books. I will. So I have a couple of books. I like that. Winging their way to me right now, and I think we should give them away to the podcast listeners. One of them is about the 72 Dolphins, the undefeated season, the only true undefeated season, given that the Patriots, you know, fell at the last hurdle. And I forget what the other one's about, but the 72 Dolphins thing sounded interesting. It is. That's cool. Um, So, yeah, we appreciate all of our listeners, and uh, we appreciate everybody that's been so dedicated to the PFF NFL podcast. We're just – we're just continuing to try to grow it, man. I, here's, let's set a goal, okay? I like Greg yes. in, uh, around the NFL and everything. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, The Ringer and The Athletic and all the other NFL shows that are out there. Yeah. I want to be number one. Yeah. I want to be the best NFL show. I want to be number one in all the rankings. I think we could do that okay. if we all work together. We can all be number one. You, me, and the listeners all together. The viewers together. We could all do it together. We could. So we could. Let's, let's grow. You got to tell friends. That's that's the bottom line here. Got to tell friends. Go All tell them. friends. Let's do it. Be like that guy that was going to sign up his entire office to the. Uh, what was he going to sign him up to? Uh, the. Uh, oh, he's going to. He was going to subscribe. That to was the, it. Yeah, yeah. Be, be like that guy. Yeah. Be like the guy that was going to sign twenty six different give him people. Something to do that. I think you were. I'm going to send yeah. him the subscription. So be, be like the guy that was going to sign his entire office up, 26 different people, to the PFF podcast. Be like that guy. Find 26 people. Just sign them up. doesn't matter if they know about it or not. Just sign them up. Just, just sign them up. Do those numbers. All right. What else do you want to talk about on the ranking show here? Anything? You get the receiving cores. You're done. All of this stuff's over at PFF.com. Okay. You're done with the receiving core after the top five? What else do you want to talk just, about? You're just out. You're very, uh, you're very high level today. You're just, you told me hit the highlights, <laughs> top five, and I'm bouncing. You told me you're hit nothing. the highlights. Okay, I hit the lowlights too. The worst receiving core. It's true. San Francisco's number six. San Francisco is a very good receiving core. Debo Samuel, obviously, he's still there. Maybe unhappy. Maybe wants the contract. Whatever it is. George Kittle is still there. George Kittle wants himself a uh, second bye week. 
Yeah. What? Seventeen games now. It's a lot of wear and tear in the body. Oh, he's asking have, for a second two bye weeks. I think it's a reasonable point, to be honest. Um, See, we're 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 getting a little bit closer to my. Uh, I don't want to call it a proposal, but I, there was like this world where maybe the NFL just never stops. Isn't that how soccer is? Right? There's like ish. You get like yeah. three weeks off. Right. Let's just stretch the season. Well, that's kind of how it is now. It's just not for the NFL people. Like for us, yeah. it was like three weeks, you know, because you go playoffs happen. We're still going to then it's straight into the draft. You know, senior bowl, blah, blah, blah. The draft starts in Mobile. Then you're at a free agency. Then there's the draft. The draft starts in Mobile. Yeah. You throw in their tagline. I I drove past Mobile. I didn't drive through Mobile. But the E-type skirted by Mobile. Instead, I should have dropped in to see Jim Nagy. I bet it was hot. Um, It was very hot. Uh, So, like, what I'm saying is the NFL offseason already is virtually non-existent. We've gone from, like, you get six months of the year where nothing's really happening to now there's, like, three weeks. Just saying, there could be more games. We could stretch the games into March soon. Okay. You know what I'm saying? More bye weeks. Well, we're going to get the... uh, Have 32 teams make the playoffs. We've got the USFL now. We're going to get the XFL. Spring spring football's back. Not interested. Not interested? No. What about... The XFL's got The Rock. Okay, fine. More interested. Bruce Gradkowski as well. Exactly. Coaching in the XFL. What is he, offensive coordinator for, for Anthony Beck's team? Yeah. Yeah, Coach Bruce. I've seen his playbook, too. He tried to... Look, maybe we were at the Super Bowl and he was in his bathing suit trying to pitch to Mike Shanahan that he should be calling plays yeah. on a napkin. Maybe that happened one time, but I, I'm just saying Bruce is passionate about calling plays. Did you make some suggestions, like alterations, tweaks? I always suggest the yoink play. <laughs> always suggest the yoink <laughs> and, and, play. Uh, so he's, he's offense, you see, so you can't, you can't just cover the space. But have you got like an offensive version, you know? Of, the, of cover the space? Yeah. Throw to no, the blue. there's just a few plays. Find the from, heat map. Just find the blue. Throw it there. I would. I would add some constraint plays off of some base plays. So, like, I think the yoink play is unstoppable. Of course, right? right? The the tight end sneak up the back yeah. sideline uh, seam. I also think unstoppable is the uh, the fake mesh seam. Right. Every team runs a mesh yeah. all the time. Oh, we're gonna run a little shallow crosses. We're gonna run a little rub route. And you take one dude, run him right up the seam. Fake mesh seam. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald did that back. It's always open. You so should, there's a couple plays that you got to run once a game because it's always open. I think what you want to do is you find the, the the heat map for like all passes, right? Everything yeah. that got thrown in the NFL last year, last two years, whatever. Sam, sample size, no object, and just find the blue areas, and then just draw a line into them. And that's, that's just the play. run to the blue. Yeah, yeah. Run to the place that is never thrown to. Exactly. Never that's, run to. That's the play. That's okay. what we're running. So we're talking just, like. Along the sideline, yeah, yeah. and like, just send it and send it to Bruce. I'll talk to Bruce. Say, yeah. I'll talk to Bruce. Look, about Bruce, it. when you need a play, you know, when it's third and eighteen, you know, third and eighteen, and you know the guy in the booth is saying, "Well, nobody's got to play for third and eighteen. You know, it's not in the playbook. Well, now it is. Now it is. Now runs it is. a blue. Yeah, while the defense is running to red. Exactly. There it is. I just anyway. I'm just saying the XFL is going to be worth watching because you got Coach Bruce, you got The Rock doing whatever he's going to be doing. There's a lot of reasons to watch the XFL. What were we talking about? How the NFL is never going to stop? Yeah. Oh, did Did I give my island game weekend proposal on the show before? I feels like a good thing for June. Don't think so. The NFL is definitely going to do this someday. An island game weekend. Sixteen island games. Sixteen island. across a weekend. It'd be like the, f- oh, the first. You don't want like just by island game. You mean 
one game going at a time. All right. Right, like a Thursday to, night game, a Monday night game. As opposed to a game taking place. No, it's island. not on and out. Now, it could. You could rent out an island beach, and play all the games there. Beach football? Just draw up the, no, draw up no, the field? Since Robert Edwards blew out, we're not doing any more beach football. Oh. Remember him? Running okay. back? Yeah. Patriots, 1998. Right. So, you start like Friday night or something. Yeah. Right? And it just runs all the way through Monday night. And there's just an NFL game. Not every four hours or so, but, but pretty close. You have four kids and a wife. I, I want no part ha- of this. I was going to say, how can you be the man proposing this? I mean, I'd have to send them out of town. Yeah. Or something. Or I'd have to leave town. I'd go to the island. Right. Maybe to watch the games. Yeah. Um, but I, I could see the NFL doing this. And you do it this would be right great. after the end of uh, – so college football does their rivalry week. and it's, or they uh, Right after their championship weekend. And between that and the bowl games, right – you need to fill some. This would be phenomenal for a young person that has no commitments. No commitments. You know? Nothing to do. For anybody with a family, this is hell. Oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible idea. I hope the NFL never does it. But I could see them. I mean, if, if you're listening to NFL. And why wouldn't you be? Whoever you are. Roger. Collectively. Whatever. Like, seeing the dollar signs right now. We're going to have people tuned in to our networks Friday night through Monday night. With a game essentially every four hours, maybe four in the morning Eastern time. Who knows? We'll just keep playing, keep playing football games keep, nonstop, keep going to the all time. the way through. Right, it kicks off with like like Jaguars Texans are playing at like seven a.m. Right, but you have the big games in prime time. You know what I mean? And you're mm-hmm. going to do that in between the college football championship games and the Bulls. Got okay. It. Yeah, I hope that never happens. We've gone off the rails. But if I was you know 24 and didn't have any kids and family and stuff, that would be amazing. The chat is a mess. We've got to clean up that uh, YouTube live chat here. What the heck? We getting spammed? Oh, yeah. It's been bad. Nice. It's bad. Time to wrap this thing up? Yeah. Great. It's a great show, Sam. <laughs> so, everybody's got some homework. Tell your friends. Steve homework. and Sam are going to talk about a bunch of random stuff with metaphors. But we're going to have some fun, and we're all going to do it together, talking football. And you guys are a big part of the show, so keep sending in the emails. Keep sending us all the suggestions. Uh, it's a lot. It's a great time for us to hit on a lot more of the emails and the questions that you guys have. Where do they send the emails to, Steve? NFL Podcast at pff.com. NFL Podcast at pff.com. Correct. Or you could uh, tweet them. Tweet them at us. You could tweet them at us. At pff underscore Sam, at pff underscore Steve. Or uh, at pff NFL Pod. Oh, yeah. Follow us there, too. Yeah, that's where we really want to build up that Twitter account, right? Mm. At pff NFL Pod. Is that it? We got all the stuff? Yeah. Good ranking show, Sam. Yeah, thanks. Thanks thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday with some more great off-season NFL content.